Let me start by telling you a little story. Um, back in about 2017, February 2017, Rich Proctor, that some of you will know, sent a young Scottish lad an email that said, there's a, a, a job uh, opportunity at my church. Would he fancy applying for, the, for said job? And uh, said young Scottish lad said, no. And here I am. Right. I'll go for a year. I'll stay for a year. That's it. Five years later, here I am. Thank you, Gwyneth. What's involved? I said. Ah, some music, some youth work, some admin, whatever needs done. Yeah, okay. I'm not preaching. No, don't, don't worry. Here I am. I wonder how many of you have planned great things for your life for your family, for your career and whatnot. And the next thing you know, you found yourself in Rotherham. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. But we as humans have an obsession for trying to control and predict our future, don't we? What do I mean by that? Well, from reading their horoscopes or star signs in the paper, trying to see what the next coming weeks is going to look like, it's always some weird romantic thing that I always read. Some people will pay to see psychics. Now, you might turn your nose up at some stuff like that, but it's not unlike us to think like that, is it? Albeit in small ways. You know, before you leave the house in the morning, we'll check the weather, won't we? And even then, it's not always correct. It's supposed to be raining today, perfect example. Maybe you'll check the traffic before you go on a long drive. But don't all these things just work as evidence against us that we really just want a small picture of the future to try and get a handle on it, to try and control it, to try and get ahead of it even. We try to cling to anything that might give us hints. But the reality is we just don't know what our future is going to look like, do we? Ten years ago, who would have thought the world would look like the way it does now? And we've all got diaries of some sort. I can't function without a paper diary. You might use your phone, you might use your calendar, you might have a really good memory. Um, and to live in this modern world, we certainly need to plan ahead, don't we? Um, a little window into my own heart. If anything, it really, really winds me up when people don't plan and let things slip. Oh, it annoys me. Even if I've got my whole week planned and on my task list goes perfect, I get so ratty when people don't meet my standards, right? Amen. <laughs> but James writes into this, doesn't he? We've just read it. Now, coming off the back of what, we just, uh, what we've been looking at with Rob last week, James is writing to the readers to remind them that they should be a humble people. Humble in that they shouldn't be thinking more of themselves than they are. You're not God. But how gracious God is towards those who are humble. Chapter 4, verse 6, if you look back in your Bibles, says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now we're going to spend our time, as Ian just read, uh, from verses 13 through 17 this afternoon. If you've got a Bible or if you've got your James journals, make sure you've got one of them open in front of you. Um, it's good that you can check that everything I'm saying is actually in that book. 
Let's just read the passage again. We've got time. Um, James chapter 4, verse 13. James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. So the first thing that James tells his readers is that your life is unpredictable. That's the first point. Your life is unpredictable. And you may have noticed as we've been going through the letter over the past few weeks, um, James is really quite gentle as he goes through it. He starts each section by saying, my brothers, my sisters. But here he's a little bit more blunt. Um, He starts the section with the words, now listen. And some of your Bibles might put that phrase a bit more polite, but I can tell you it's, it's a bit more direct than come now, as some of your Bibles might say. Come now. It's more like a write you lot. Listen up. Listen up. Verse 13. You who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year, carry on business, make money. Now, some of you might be in business or finance, I'm not an expert, but am I right in saying that forecasting is quite a crucial part of business planning? Is that right? Sure, he says. (laughs) Now, on an initial reading of the passage, it might seem like James is just bashing rich, aspirational, entrepreneurial people. That's how I read it at first, but actually, I don't think that's what James is saying here at all. And if you bear with me, I'll show you why. Don't think you're off the hook. Just wait till we get to the start of chapter 5 next week. We can tell by how vague he is in his wording that James is not quoting anyone in particular when he says this. But there's clearly an issue that he's writing into. Can you see that? Let's read on. Verse 14. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. See, James is in no way telling people off for their occupation, for their, their, their job choice, But what he's doing is he's making them aware of their selfish, arrogant, presumptuous attitude towards the future. As if they would know. Just look again at verse 13. Listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that city, spend a year, carry on business, make money. These these are the sort of folk that think they've got it all worked out. The when, the where, the what, the why. Is that us? Is that us? Ask yourself. How many of us have thought, right, three years' time, I'll get married. Um, We'll move to this place. I'll get this job. Uh, I'll save some cash. That should allow us to buy this sort of house with a white picket fence in, in so many years. And then that'll allow my kids, two girls and a boy, by the way, to go to this good school, go to this good uni, get this sort of job, get this head start on life. What does James say here to people that think like that? Right you. 
Verse 14, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. He splashes cold water on our faces, doesn't he? He says, wake up, smell the roses. You're looking miles down the line and you can't even see what's right in front of your face. You've got no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. There's so many variables there that you're not even considering. There's so much that's out of your hands. Right, let me illustrate. Imagine you've got ten coins, right? And you get a Sharpie, you get a pen, and you write on the ten coins. Number one, you get the next one. Number two, next one. Number three, all the way through to ten, right? You put all the coins in your pocket. You mess, you mess them up. Now, for you to reach into your pocket and pull out number one, the chances, the odds, one in ten, right? So you put that back in your pocket. Now, the odds of you then reaching in and pulling out number one, putting it back in, the odds of you pulling out number two, one in a hundred. The odds of you then pulling out number one, two, and three in succession are one in a thousand. All the way through to ten. Do the maths. Now, if we can't control the little things like the pennies in our pockets, why on earth do we think that we can be in control of the world in which we live? The weather, the traffic, the political landscape, wars, dare I say it, pandemics, people's actions, people's emotions, our own emotions, all so unpredictable. Now, renowned Scottish farmer turned poet, Robert Burns, writes similarly about 1,700 years after James in one of his most well-known poems. I'm going to read a, a stanza for you. Hopefully I won't have to translate it. Burns writes this. In proven foresight may be vain, the best-laid schemes of mice and men gang after glee. And Lee is not but grief and pain. The best laid schemes of mice and men often go askew and leave us nothing but pain. Friends, you've no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And not just in what we do, not just in what we plan, but our very being. Secondly, James reminds the readers of the fragility and the brevity of our lives. Now when you're a child, uh, it feels like life just takes forever to get going, doesn't it? I'm not far off being a child, as I like to remind myself, but life is already speeding up. A year goes by, and I'm sure that continues to be old, it continues to be true the older you get. I'm thinking old, sorry. <laughs> What is your life? James asks. It's like a little catechism. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Life is fleeting. Have you ever tried to draw a picture with a sparkler? You know, you try and write your name with a sparkler. It's beautiful and then it's gone. <laughs> Or you try and write a little love note for someone on the glass or the window. You, you breathe on it 
And by the time you draw a little love heart, it's gone. See, we are but a speck of dust on the face of Earth's history. We're a blink of an eye in the light of eternity. And this isn't just James saying this. God has scattered this teaching all throughout the Bible. Let me just point you to a couple of places. Psalm 102. The psalmist there writes, For my days vanish like smoke. My days are like the evening shadow. Psalm 39, the psalmist there pleads with God. He says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. And by the end of the psalm, here's what he says. Everyone is but a breath. Even those who seem secure. All of us. If you remember a couple of years ago, we spent some time looking at the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, didn't we? That was great fun. Do you remember the opening words of Ecclesiastes? The writer there says life is pointless. He starts by going meaningless, 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 about four or five times. He, he says it's a chasing after the wind. Life is a puff of smoke. It's here, it's gone. I wouldn't be surprised if James was reading Ecclesiastes the morning he wrote this letter. James says exactly that here. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I wonder if anyone knows the name of their great-grandparents. You've got eight sets of them. Or if you know... One of the 16 sets of great-great-grandparents you have. You carry their blood in your veins. You might even carry one of their surnames. Do you know their first names? Most people don't. Sadly, that implies your own great-great-grandchildren may not even remember your name. Life is fleeting. And we don't really like, like to think about death in our culture, do we? We try to put it out of mind. And I'm not trying to be insensitive here. But we almost forget about death until we're confronted with it in the most brutal way and it catches us off guard, right? Why does it take for the people around us to die for us to be reminded of the reality of death? I was walking my mate to the bus stop um, after work last week and he turns to me and he says to me, do you know, your birthday comes round every year, right? Do you know, the anniversary of your death comes round every year and you've no idea what day it is. I was having a nice day until that point. Every birthday we count our years, don't we? The Bible tells us, number your days. I was chatting to an older guy in the coffee shop this week and I said, oh, nice to see you. How are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm just taking every day as it comes. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, but there's, a, there's something to be said about that outlook on life, isn't there? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist. 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And to summarise, James is reminding the readers, that's us as well, you can't control your life, you can't foresee your death, you know neither the, the direction nor the duration of your life. Your life is unpredictable. Your life is fleeting. Thirdly, but your life is in God's hands. So James has made clear to us what we shouldn't be saying. And now he moves on to tell the readers what they should be saying. If you know, just look back to the end of verse 13. He says, today or tomorrow, we will. We will. And we've just seen the problem with that way of thinking, haven't we? And look what he writes in verse 15. Read with me. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Never mind what you do, your very being is completely down to the will of the Lord. And saying Lord willing is just the first step in coming to terms with our own mortality and dependence on the Lord for life itself, right? That certainly ought to humble us. But see, it's more than just paying lip service. And I hope this doesn't make you feel self-conscious around me, if I tell you this. But I've spotted that essentially people are like little cartoon characters. We've all got our little outfits, and we've all got our little sayings and catchphrases that we often use, right? Now, I told you about when I first came to REC. Here's something else that happened when I first came to REC. I used to really, really struggle to listen to sermons. Maybe that's some of you. Maybe that's some of the young people. Uh, And so to help me through, I started to play a little game with myself. And it was called Ian Jones Bingo. (laughs) And what I did was I, I noted all the little punchy phrases that Ian would often say in conversations and in sermons, and I would sit there in the sermon, and it would make me listen, and I would, I would check them all off. Bingo. It's helpful, I'd recommend. I remember when I was young, um, my cousin and I going to our granny's house, and we'd ask, Granny, can we stay over tonight? And we'd just hope for her to go, we'll see, we'll see. And if she said that, we'd leave the room. And we'd go, yes, because we knew that we'll see, even if it didn't mean yes now, inevitably meant yes later on in the evening. But see, I don't think James is just saying to use the word Lord willing as a little catchphrase, and it certainly doesn't always mean yes. It's more than saying weather permitting. It's more than saying touch wood. Ojalá, Spanish. Inshallah, Arabic. Honestly, it's more than just saying God willing. It's more than just writing DV, Deo Valenti in your emails. You don't see that about much anymore. See, it's not a little incantation. It's not a little formula to help you get what you want or to save your skin and to make you sound more humble. And we certainly shouldn't just be saying it through gritted teeth either. Yeah, I'll do that. Lord willing. 
It's not what we should be saying, but it's our very attitude towards life. Oh, now there's a theme that's come up a few times throughout the book of James, isn't it? It's not enough to just say things, but actually doing it. Living it. Our very attitude towards life should be Lord willing. Friends, let this colour every plan and every decision you make. Throwing yourself onto the will of God for your life. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and we'll do this or that. Fine by me. And that's hard. But don't just let it become one of your little catchphrases that people who you say. Live it. Don't let it just become Ian Jones bingo or whatever your name is bingo. It's so much more than just paying lip service. But it's more than just claiming to believe in God as well. Look at verse 16. James writes, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. In your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now James is writing this letter to Christians, right? And how quickly even Christians can omit God from our planning. How quickly we can forget the one who gave us life, who sustains our life. And when it all comes down to what we've done, or what we're going to do, I'll decide, I'll decide God what's right. James calls this selfish, arrogant boasting before God. We think we know it all. We think we've got it all under control. The world revolves around me. How quickly we can become atheistic in the way that we live and plan our lives. This is the very heart of the problem with humans. This is the very root of the problem that the Bible calls sin. Selfish arrogance. From as far back as the start of your Bibles, the book of Genesis, to today. Whether we're Christians in this room or not, we continue to sail through life in rejection of God. And God has every right to snuff out this little mist of a life. And yet, in his grace, in his mercy to us, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us life. He doesn't promise tomorrow, but he gives you today to turn to him in faith, to turn to him in repentance. What a big two fingers it is up to God when we live our lives as fleeting, as brief as they are, in rejection of him. Thinking that we're the ones in control. And Jesus himself modelled submission to the will of his Father in heaven. In his earthly teaching, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And I guess, like I said, that's easy going when things are going all right, isn't it? Easy enough to say. And before he was crucified... On the night he was arrested, knowing full well what the pain that he would endure the next day, where was he? 
Was he running off? Was he starting a rebellion? No. He was on his knees, praying to his Father in heaven. Praying, not my will, not mine, but yours. And as he hung on the cross, taking upon himself the wrath of God for his people, and they're shouting, if you can save others, save yourself. And he could have. And yet out of his love for us, choosing to submit to the will of his Father that you and I might be free. Now if you're here and you profess to be a Christian, like the people that James is writing to, if you've responded to the message of the gospel, that Jesus died to make you right with God, if you profess to trust in the God who made you, the God who sustained you, the God who saved you, then live like it. Brothers and sisters, live like it. In the way that we look towards the future and are planning, not living independent from God, but in dependence on God. The Lord who is completely sovereign. Verse 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. If you didn't know, now you do. If you're not a Christian and you say you believe in our God, who is that God? Is it the God who is completely sovereign? Is it the God who is in control? Or are you still holding on because you think that that God is lacking in something and you think you can be the one that can take control of it? In the words of the old poem, Invictus, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This applies to you too. What does it say? If anyone knows the good they ought to do, If you came here and you didn't, now you know. Are we constantly organising our lives without contingency for the Lord to change the route? Do we get horribly frustrated like me when things don't go our way? Christian, Rest in the fact that you are not in control. But there is one who is. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow, but we can trust the one that does. The one who knows everything. There is nothing that is out of his hands. The Bible tells us that God works for the good of those who love him. How liberating that should be for us. He's a safe pair of hands. This passage that we've just read should both deeply humble us. Your life is a puff of smoke. But oh how it should encourage us too. See as fleeting as our lives are, as insignificant as we are, as insignificant as you may feel, especially in the narrative of the world and its history. 
how much more meaningful it should be to us that God would even concern himself with us. Amen? In the words of James himself, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Church, let's pray that we would be a people that are marked not by our selfish arrogance, but by our humility. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for how it at times convicts us and reminds us of who we are, of how prone to pride we are, of how easy it is to think more of ourselves than we ought. Lord, humble us and encourage us, we pray. May REC be a congregation marked not by our arrogance, but by her humility. And we pray, not in the name of Rotherham Evangelical Church, not in our own names, Lord, but in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.